Amen. Go ahead, have a seat. Ushers, let's come forward. Let's give out how God has given us because it's all from him. It's all for him. And if you're here for the first, second, or third time and you're already seeing the baskets come down and you've got that connection card that has like five million blanks in it, don't worry about that at all because uh, for the rest of the service, you'll have time to fill that out. And then as you head out today, we'll have some really nice people on your right once you get outside. We've got a gift for you. You matter to us and you made this place matter to you today. So we want to say thanks in a way that is not a Costco-sized teddy bear. Uh, it's something you can carry with you to your car as you uh, head out or walk home today. Uh, it's our way of saying thanks so much for joining us today. So church, happy Thanksgiving. Uh, this, is, this is my favorite holiday of the year, okay, because in October starts this trajectory of people showing up at your house expecting things. So it starts with candy, then it's a meal, then it's a meal and gifts and decorations and stockings and all that stuff. Uh, but like Thanksgiving is right in the middle of the sweet spot of good things, good people, without all the work and craziness of Christmas. So I love Thanksgiving. And the first thing we're going to look at today uh, talks about that. This is a great week. It's a good week. Uh, and we're going to eat a lot of food and so we're going to look at something that the Bible talks about with good food today. Uh, we're going to be in 1 Timothy. We've been going through this book for the last few weeks. We're going to actually be in chapter 4. 1 Timothy 4, we're going to be in verse 1, and we're going to get there in a little bit. You can go there in your Bible or your app. If you have neither, don't worry at all, because I'm going to read every verse that we're going to look at today. Uh, and you can pick up a Bible on your way out if you're interested in that today. But the first thing we're going to look at is that God's world is good, God's Bible is good, and God created everyone to know his goodness. Like, this is a good time of the year. I, I look at this passage. We're doing it this week. I'm like, yes, this is perfect because this is my favorite month of the year. Like, November is the best month to live in Fresno, in my opinion, because we've survived summer, and it's not like the permanent gray known as January and February. It's still nice. Uh, and there's something, like, that reminded me of that this week. Scientists say that the scent that brings back, or the scents that brings back the most memories is smell. Uh, Starbucks has not changed their soap smell since the time that I worked there in 2003 and 2004. So I go there, I wash my hands, I smell them, and I'm taken back to the place in my head where I get to put on the apron and go behind the booth and make my own drinks. I think that's what time it is, and they tell me that that's wrong because uh, I don't have my apron or work there anymore. Thank Jesus. But but I, I, uh, I went to my shape group early on, on Friday morning. It's a group of guys that I meet with every week uh, at the Starbucks at Kings Canyon and Clovis. We read our Bibles. We drink coffee to prepare us for the day. We pray for each other. And 6.45, boom, we're gone uh, 45 minutes after we started. And I got out of the car, and I smelled something, so we're going back to memories, that most of the time we smell, and, and it's, like, disgusting to us, okay? Anybody ever been there to that winery at Clovis and Olive? That is a disgusting smell most times of the year. Am I correct on this one? Yes. But something about like cold weather just magnifies that in a good thing. And when like I first moved to Fresno and Fresno started feeling like home to me was not in August because I'm smarter than that. Uh, it was around like this time of the year where this place really started to feel like home to me. And so I got out of the car and I breathed in and all I could smell was that horrible winery. But it hit me not as that awful stench, but like as home. I'm like, yes, this is, this is good. This is a good time of the year. This is great. God's world is good. The smell is good because it's like telling me, Ken, you are home. This is really, really good. And, and what we're going to look at today is something similar to that, where it's something that like other people look at and say this is bad. But what God does is God takes what's gone wrong and he makes it right again. And then what we're going to read is a perfect window into our world because so much of what we see and experience every single day is things that God made good that have been twisted by people, by by us, uh, by evil, by all those things, that God made stuff that's good, and then it got twisted along the way. So we're going to check that out first. In, in 1 Timothy 
chapter 4, verse 1, it says this. Now the Holy Spirit tells us clearly that in the last times, some will turn away from truth faith. They will follow deceptive spirits and teachings that come from demons. These people are hypocrites and liars, and their consciences are dead. They will say it's wrong to be married. It's wrong to eat certain foods. But God created these foods to be eaten with thanks by faithful people who know the truth. Since everything God created is good, we should not reject any of it, but receive it with prayer. For we know that it is made acceptable by the word of God and prayer. You know, it's what he's saying. It's good things that God created. That where, where Paul, the guy who wrote this, is writing to is a city where a bunch of people had come in and they had t- taken good things and completely twisted them to make them bad. And so the purpose of the book that we're looking at today is an older pastor writing to a younger pastor to say, hey, you've got things in your church, in your city, that you need to turn around for the sake of the church, for the sake of Christians, because it's all gone sideways. And in our world, so much of what we see is exactly that. It's things that God created that have been totally turned and twisted sideways. And now it's an opportunity for God to move in and for God to bring restoration and for God to bring hope. I moved to Fresno when I was 18. Before that, I lived in Simi Valley, California, which is one town over from Thousand Oaks, California. That's the place that was under tons of fires over the last few weeks and then the nightclub shooting uh, back on November 7th. I know exactly where that nightclub is because my sister's dance like studio was right next to that place. I've driven by that place hundreds of times. Where you say when they say borderline, I knew exactly where that was. I got a bunch of pictures from my parents over the last few weeks of, of the clouds of smoke that are you can see over the roof of their house uh, just a couple miles away. And you know what's not happening in Thousand Oaks today is there aren't churches that are closing their doors and saying, you know what, we're not going to meet anymore because all these things that have happened, uh, they, they drown out. They put a shadow over God's goodness. It's like what, what Pastor Greg said earlier today is that everywhere in the world, the church is gathering to celebrate and declare the goodness of God. And so even in a place where bad things happen, we still, as Christians, get the idea, get the, get the authority, get the comfort of looking to God in the midst of those dark circumstances because what God does is God walks into our darkness to pull us to him. God created the world to be good. And in the very first book of the Bible, it's called Genesis. The first three chapters is about how everything was made and then how everything was, was turned wrong and how humans made everything wrong. And what we see in that is that everything that was created, God looks at and God says, this is good. But as the result of humans coming in and evil coming into the world, all those good things got completely flipped over. And what we see as a result of that is the world that we see today, where it's good things that have been turned over by bad people. And what God does that's so incredible, that gives us hope every single day, is that we, he pulls us back to the fact that he is good, that his Bible is good, and that he wants all of us to know and understand his goodness. Which means that if God finds us at a place where we are living in darkness, he is faithful to bring us to what is going to be good. He's faithful to pull us out of our darkness and bring us into what's good. And what we read in this story is, is an idea of that, is a glimpse into that. That yes, some people have come in and they've twisted things that are good, like marriage, it's good for a man and woman to be married. Like food, it's good for food to be eaten. God created it. We're going to partake in a whole lot of that this week and even after service today. Those are good things. And he's saying, I want to remake those. I'm going to redeem those. He looks the same way at you and me. Like what Hannah said earlier. Like however we come in here, what's going on in our heart and in our head and in our lives, those are things that God wants to work in. 
Those are areas where God wants to take us and rescue us and remind us about who he says that we are, that none of us here are sitting here as screw-ups, as disappointments, as less than in God's eyes. We sit here today, regardless of how you think you've come here, you sit here today as a son or a daughter of God, a good God in a good mood who wants to do good things in our lives today. And so Paul writes things like this. It's a, it's a book to make corrections, but it's not a critical book. It's not a book written with anger. We don't read these things and see, seeing a picture of God as an angry God, but of God as a saving God who wants to make changes in us and make us more like the men and women he created us to be. And as God works in us, God has a goal. And God calls all of us to live privately and publicly for his glory. The reason that, that things needed to be corrected in this church that, that we're reading about in 1 Timothy is because things had gone wrong and what's happening is that people are being harmed but also the glory of God is being harmed. God isn't lifted up as the savior of everyone who calls on him, as the forgiver of every sin, as the healer of every disease. And so his glory suffers. And so Paul is saying, Paul is writing in this saying, I want, I want these things to be corrected. I want these things to be made right. And there are three areas that he does this, and three areas that hit our lives and apply to us. And the first of those is that God's Bible is our food. God's Bible is our food. He talks about this in verse 6. So in the next verse down as we're going, he says, if you explain these things to the brothers and sisters, Timothy, you'll be a worthy servant of Christ Jesus, one who's nourished by the message of faith and the good teaching that you have followed. Do not waste time arguing over godless ideas in old wives' tales, Jump to verse 13. Until I get there, focus on reading the scriptures to the church, encouraging the believers and teaching them. Do not neglect the spiritual gift that you received through the prophecy spoken over you, which means people speaking the word of God over you, when the elders of the church laid their hands on you. He's saying this is the, the Bible, the, the word of God explained and taught and read and absorbed and applied like all of us. This is like food for us. And all of us know that the longer that we go without food, like the worse our lives get, the worse our bodies get, the worse, the worse our attitudes get. Like hangry is a real thing in all of our lives. You get hungry, you start acting mean. And it's the same way with our souls. The longer we go without dining on the word of God, the worse our lives are going to get. And we also know that you are what you eat, like that old nutritional saying, you are what you eat. There are two things in the world that I really love to do, do them almost every single day. Uh, one of those is eat. Like, I love food, and on, like, like on the top of my food pyramid, the thing that everything is, is less than, uh, except for a really good steak, is Mexican food. Like, I love Mexican food, and Jesus invented salsa, I don't know for all of you, but just for me. And so a while ago, uh, a while ago, I went out to lunch with a friend of mine, uh, and he said, where do you want to go? And I said, I don't care anywhere because that's usually my thing. I'm going to find something anywhere to eat. Uh, and he says, let's go to Mexican food. I'm like, winner, good job. Uh, and so we got these big old nachos because he heard they were good. And I'm like, yeah, let's try it. And on top of the nachos, I just pounded on salsa and salsa and salsa. It was excellent. It was spicy. It was good. Now, during cross-country season, which is like September to October, uh, November if you're really fast, uh, I, I got to be a volunteer coach at my kids' school, and so I got to run with them and run with the fast kids at the front of the pack and stuff. Uh, it was fun. I loved it. Absolutely loved it. And most of the time when I run every day, it's early in the morning. My kids get up early, so I want to be up early before them to get my stuff in so that when they wake up, I can be there to be a dad and stuff. So I've got like my, my iPhone flashlight in a clear fanny pack so I don't trip and fall and break my face. Um, so running early in the morning, it doesn't really matter what you ate before because that was like six hours ago uh, if you eat in bed like me. And uh, afternoon practices aren't the same way. 
Okay, elementary school kids are fast enough to remind me that salsa right before an afternoon practice with decently fast kids was a really, really bad idea. Like, it, it didn't come out, but it came up and it reminded me that salsa and distance running do not go together ever under any, like, imaginary complex unless you hate somebody and then you want to say, hey, this will make you go faster because it will hurt all over right here. I'm telling you that for sure. But that's how it is. Like, we put good things into our life, and we're going to reap a good benefit. We put bad food into our lives, and we're going to have pain. We're going to suffer. We are what we eat. And just like our bodies crave good food, our souls do too. And the Bible fills us with good food. Like, I'm convinced that so many things in the Bible, so many things in the book that God wrote are going to push us to being better people. I read the Bible and I read stories of Jesus and I read stories about God doing miracles and I read stories that push me to be more of a selfless, I have to say that carefully, more of a selfless person. Because what Jesus does is he comes to earth for us. He lays down every right and privilege he could ever have for us. So if I'm going to read that, it's going to be a shining light on my life, illuminating the areas where I don't measure up. And what God doesn't want to do is say, see, Ken, you missed it again. I'm cutting you for my team. No, what God wants to do is he wants to work in us for all of those areas where we fail to measure up. Because we don't fail with God. We give God an opportunity to work in us. And so whatever we bring to him, What the Bible exposes in us isn't a guilty verdict. What it does is it pushes us to God. That was the purpose of the Ten Commandments at the very beginning, to show God's people that they needed God. And for us, as we read the Bible, it shows us our need for God. If you've got no Bible reading plan today, we've got one for you, uh, because that's always how things work. If I'm going to bring it up, I'm going to bring up a way to apply it. As you head out today at that info table with the nice people, you'll see a Shape Journal starter kit. This is our church's Bible reading and journaling plan, like what Pastor Greg talked about. And uh, it's five simple sections that you can read through just as a starter kit. It's not like you're signing your life away. This is a starter kit for you to get involved with the way where God wants to speak to you and wants to get involved in your life every day. If you're a guy and you're looking for a group where you can do that, join me at the Starbucks at Clovis in Kings Canyon. Friday mornings at 6 a.m. We're there almost every single week. uh, And we'd love to join, we'd love for you to join us in that as we read the Bible as our spiritual food, as our soul food, and let it talk to us in our lives. So secondly, God's food, the Bible, allows us to grow healthy so that we can be like Jesus. Verse 7, before we cut out, it says this, it says, train yourselves to be godly. Physical training is good, but training for godliness is much better, promising benefits in this life and the life to come. I love that the, the city that the, church li- that, that the church existed in that Paul was writing this letter to, when they met Jesus, when they heard about Jesus, they were not living the neat and tidy, everything's perfect life. They were living a life far from God that was fueled by worshiping demons. Like Paul even mentioned in that in the first part of that we read. It wasn't a church, it wasn't a city that was nice and you look at it and you're like, yeah, that would make perfect sense for a church to grow there. It was a city that was far from God. We look at that in our lives, we look at that through the lens of where we are now and we see that God, if he wants to work in a city like that, wants to work in a place like that where even after they get things right, they get it wrong again and Paul has to come through and gut the whole church leadership structure. We see how much God wants to work in our lives. And it's a picture of how Jesus works in every single one of us, that none of us come to a relationship with God because God looks at us and says, okay, you're good enough. You passed the test. Welcome into a relationship with me. Not for every single one of us, Jesus finds us when we are far from him, finds us when we are at our worst, 
finds us when we are far from God in our own dirt, whatever that was for you. And what Jesus does is he pulls us out of our dirt, cleans us, and brings us into a relationship with him. It's the message of the gospel. It's the good news of Jesus on display for the world to see. And then Paul gives some examples. In verse 11, he says to Timothy, he says, teach these things and insist that everyone learn them. Don't let anyone think less of you because you're young, but be an example to all believers in what you say, in the way you live, in your love, and in your faith, and in your purity. Jesus modeled these things perfectly, and so what he wants to do with us in the areas where we are far from nailing it in this area is to come in and make us more like him, to take the areas where we are not living in love and faith and in purity and, and through the power of the Holy Spirit, which gives us new desires and gives us new power to bend these things back to the way that God created us to live and designed us to live. And thirdly, when we're eating well and growing, we have good news to share. In verse 9, he says, this is a trustworthy saying and everyone should accept it. This is why we work hard and continue to struggle for our hope is in the living God who is the Savior of all people and particularly of all believers. And then jump to 15. It says, give your complete attention to these matters. Throw yourself into your tasks so that everyone will see your progress. Keep a close watch on how you live and on your teaching. Stay true to what's right for the sake of your own salvation and the salvation of those who hear you. And the first thing that he says there, talking about God, is that God is alive and real. When Paul is writing this in the first century, he's not writing about a set of belief. He's writing about not a philosophy, but a set of history of things that really did happen, that there really was a cross, that a man whose name really was Jesus was hung on to die for all of our sins, and that three days later when people showed up to anoint his dead body because everybody expected him to be dead, nobody expected him to not be in the grave, People showed up to anoint the dead body and they found nobody. They found the fact that Jesus had risen from the dead, risen to new life to show everyone on earth, under the earth, and in heaven that he is the son of God who has all power and authority to forgive sins and then lead us in a life of following Jesus and being controlled by Jesus in the best way possible. He's talking about something that he really did see. It's something that he really experienced, that Jesus didn't come into the world to judge the world, but instead to save the world through him. And that was something that was rock solid and deep down at home in Paul's life. He says about it, this in the first chapter of 1 Timothy. We bring it up every single week because it's such a foundational verse, not only for the church, but for the book that we're looking at. He says, Jesus came into the world to save sinners, and that's us. That means if we've ever walked away from God in any way, that there is a Jesus who came for us, who came to pick us out of our darkness, pick us up out of our brokenness, and lead us into relationship with him. I love that verse uh, after 15 where Paul's in, telling Timothy, he says, I want you to throw yourself at these things. Man, this is the beginning of a busy week. We're going to throw ourselves at a bunch of different things. But as we do that, the hope that we have as Christians, if you are a Christian, you know this is true. If you're not a Christian, this is the basis of our relationship with God. As we look at throwing ourselves into things this week, we worship a Jesus who threw himself at us and at our problems so that we could throw ourselves at him. That when we were far from God, that God sent Jesus in the form of a human to live like us, except that he lived the perfect life that we could never live, that he paid the death penalty that our sins deserved, 
because we have fallen short of God's glory and the wages, the payment for our falling short of that is death. And Jesus died the death that we could never die so that we could live the life with God that we could never live. That's the good news of who Jesus is. And as we look at this season that's gonna get bigger and bigger, it's all pointing toward the fact that Jesus came for us. That Jesus threw himself at us and at our problems so we can throw ourselves on him and say, God, here I am, all of me. You are a good God and there are things in my life that are not good, but you can change this. You can make them good again. That's the message of 1 Timothy. It's the message of Jesus that he comes into the world to change, to forgive, to take over things that are not good, which sometimes means you and me. And for all of us at some point, that will mean you and me. But to change that, and to bring it into relationship with Jesus. That's our privilege as Christians. That's what it means to be a Christian, is that Jesus has come in and changed everything for us, and that's something we can do today. Let's stand and pray.